Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm David Marsden from the Evening Standard. Subscribe to The Leader and you'll get our news analysis and commentary every day at 4pm. Get in touch too. Use the hashtag The Leader Podcast on social media. Now, from The Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. COVID-19 infection rates are falling in London as a whole, but the excess death rate has jumped by 42% in the most recent figures. That's the knife edge the capital stands on, as the government considers what tier to put the city in when lockdown is raised. When the system began in October, it went into tier two. Now its politicians and businesses are all but begging for London to stay there, because they say tier three will cripple the city. The Evening Standard's Lizzie Edmonds has been looking at this and joins me now. Lizzie, what's the difference between these tiers that so many are so afraid of? There are kind of small differences between tier two and tier three, and they seem to be on a lot of the fun things that kind of makes London what London is. Uh, So there's much stricter rules around hospitality in tier three. Hospitality has to be pretty much closed like it is at the moment, with the exception of uh, takeaways and deliveries, that sort of thing. And also um, our beloved performing arts. So in tier three, there'll be no cinema, no bowling alleys, no live performances, be it that music or theatre. Across the board, we'll be able to go to shops that are uh, deemed non-essential gyms and and that sort of area uh, all kind of got the the green light to go. But yes, hospitality and and going out um, and enjoying a bit of live performance are kind of two of the main things that are very much not on the cards if we are put into tier three on Thursday. You've been looking in particular at live performance. What kind of preparations are they doing should London go into tier two? So tier two is okay, as okay as it can be, I suppose, in terms of theatre performances and live performances. There will be capacity limits. So these live performances and stuff would be up to 50% capacity or a thousand indoors, whichever is lower. The problem with tier two that a lot of the performing arts are, are, are raising at the moment is this idea that in tier two, you can only get a drink <laughs> if you uh, have a substantial meal. So if, for example, if you wanted to go and see a band perform, um, a packet of crisps wouldn't pass as a substantial meal. So that means that you'd be going without the joy of having a beer. And same for uh, interval drinks in the theatre. Those would most likely not be a thing. So maybe not such a big thing for, for theatre, but for, for music and for uh, live performance in music, that is quite a 
quite a difference. So there's different things along there that are that are not great. But tier two, at least we can get some sort of live action, which is is a big thumbs up. But even in tier two, because you've talked about those maximum numbers that are allowed in, there are some theatres that it's just not financially viable for them to only have half an audience in. Yes, um, I would say most most theatres would say that that is very much the case even the big guys that you would assume have lots of lots of cash it's not it's not really like that um they will have every theater will have the minimum number of people that they need to have in their audiences in order to be able to break even and that is a higher percentage than 50 of course the big west end shows and the big theaters have a bit more money um so could maybe kind of put on some performances and make a loss because they want to because they know the demand is there londoners want to go and people have missed live performance so much but for the smaller independent theaters um even opening its doors to make a loss is just not not viable so there will be a lot of places that just you know buckle down and wait it out until the the vaccine and comes and and normality and in inverted commas uh, comes back to to the city and lizzie's article breaking down the tier system is available online at standard.co.uk along with our comprehensive analysis and commentary now There hasn't been much of this at sports stadiums around the country where fans have been banned from the stands. The Evening Standard's been campaigning to get grounds open again and the tier system will do that for some. Up to 4,000 people will be able to go through the turnstiles in tier 1 areas. That's cut to 2,000 when you go up a level. And of course in tier 3, it's none. Regardless, England legend Ian Wright, who has backed our Bring Back the Fans campaign, thinks it'll bring genuine joy to many around the country. Our football correspondent Dan Kilpatrick's with me, and Dan, this is the start of what we've been calling for, but once again, it only works in London if the city stays out of Tier 3. Yeah, I think all the clubs are now nervously waiting for Thursday's announcement to find out where London's going to sit in the tier system. I think for the Premier League clubs... 2,000 and 4,000 isn't going to make it a huge difference, but some of the clubs further down the pyramid, if we're talking about League Two clubs, you know, that could be the difference between, I don't know, 5% of the ground or, or 10%. So, yeah, it's, it's, going to, it's going to make a big difference for, for some clubs. So, the, yeah, the next step now is to wait for Thursday and then kind of see where they are. So let's say that Thursday goes according to how the clubs hope. London is into tier two. How does it work then? What's the safe way of bringing fans back to the stands? Well, every single club has been working on this for literally for months. I mean, fans were locked out of stadiums eight months ago and football's obviously been back underway since June. So they've had a lot of time to prepare for this. Even so, that there's a feeling that it really was sprung on them. They weren't given much warning. They were expecting this to happen closer to Christmas or over the Christmas period. But clubs have put a lot of groundwork in. Every single club has submitted a plan to the Sports Ground Safety Authority and they're the ones who have drawn up basically the guidelines for how fans can return to stadiums in social distance conditions. So clubs will have done things like, for instance, move their turnstiles so they're outside the ground, created one-way systems around the stadium. They'll have created whole new digital ticketing systems to seat people in, in their bubbles so they're you know socially distant in in their family group or whatever. So there there are 
thousands of little logistical things that clubs have done. And I've been speaking to Millwall, who are just up the road for me, and they said they've literally had to, to rethink everything they know about their entire stadium and their uh, entire match day operations. So this is this is kind of no small feat what clubs are having to do. But is it worth it, you know, having just a, a few thousand fans in the stadium at a Premier League match? It's not going to be the same experience, is it? Yeah, it's not worth it for the Premier League clubs. And that's what a lot of them are saying this morning. You know, they're saying this is not economically viable. This is a headache for us in many ways. We have to employ more stewards. We have to put on more staff on match days. We're probably going to lose money if we're only allowed 2,000 fans in. But crucially, all the clubs are seeing this as the first step on the road toward getting something uh, closer to normality back as soon as possible, really. And and there are big clubs in London who are among the, the leaders in this country that are pushing for pilot events with much more fans where they can trial new technologies, which um, STIG, which is the sports technology and innovation group that the government has set up, are discussing with the FA, with the Premier League, with DCMS at the moment. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes and the hope for the big clubs in the Premier League in particular is that this will ramp up fairly quickly, that once fans are kind of in the stadiums and, and people see them there, that'll sort of spur the government into action to get things moving to the next stage. You can read more about this, including Ian Wright's comments in the newspaper or online at standard.co.uk. And that's The Leader. We're back tomorrow. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.